Good morning, church. How are you today? You good? Let's continue standing. We're going to recite the 23rd Psalm here in just a few minutes, so I want to get you ready for that. You can start uh, bringing that to your memory as we've been working on that. But before we get into that, as we've been in this series called Comfort in Chaos, and this is going to be, uh, next week will be the last week of this series, we've been progressing through the 23rd Psalm, and one of the things that we've committed to doing as a church family is memorizing that passage of Scripture. In light of that, I want to share a testimony with you. Someone called me. Actually, I called them after I found out that they were really sick. Uh, Tony Ross, I don't know if you know who she is. She typically comes to the first service. She's one of our greeters, one of the sweetest, nicest ladies ever. She and her husband, uh, Rod, they oversee the greeting ministry. And uh, we found out this past weekend, not this weekend, but the last weekend, We found out that during the Thanksgiving holidays, we were notified uh, that she had to be admitted to the hospital. She went to the hospital and was incredibly sick. She's very healthy, very healthy lady. And, uh, but she uh, got a blood infection due to another kind of infection that she had. And so she was uh, going, dealing with sepsis and uh, dealing with that, just terrible chills, uh, very high fever. In fact, so much as she was admitted to the hospital for several days, the doctors were telling her this, that they were very concerned whether or not they could get her stabilized and she was even going to live through that week. That's how serious it was. We had no idea how grave this situation was until I talked to her last Sunday on the phone after service. Rod was here, but she was not. She was still in the hospital. And one of the powerful things that I wanted to share with you that she told me was in that dark valley where literally she was not sure she was going to live or not that week as the doctors were struggling with what she was dealing with. In that dark valley, facing Uh, And her words, the valley of the shadow of death that week, she said, Bart, when my fever was at its worst in one of the nights that it was at its worst, she said, I got up in the middle of the night, sat up in my bed. I was running 103.3. That's very high for an adult, right? And she said, I was shaking with just these convulsions with the chills. And she said, I remembered this passage of scripture. God brought the 23rd Psalm to her mind. She began to recite what she had hid in her heart, began to just pray that prayer back to God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. She began to go through this. She said, at that moment, Lord, she said, just, she said, I felt a closeness to God like I've never felt in my life. His power flooded into the room where I was at. You need to know she is not a melodramatic person not fabricating any stories here or anything like this. Neither am I a melodramatic person. She said, at that moment, she said, my fever began to subside. The chills began to go away. And she said, I just continued to pray that. But she said, greater than any of the physical healing that I was beginning to experience at that moment. She said, the greatest thing was knowing how close God was to me. She said, I was able to say, Even in the face of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Right? She said, I was able to say, it is well. Don't you love hearing the power of God's word in your life? We don't give you these assignments to memorize scripture to keep you busy. They are weapons in your spiritual arsenal. God's word is powerful. It is relevant. It, it is alive. The Bible says it's, it's sharp as a double-edged sword. So we've encouraged you to, to memorize this and that when you feel overwhelmed, when you start feeling afraid, when you start feeling you know anxious or whatever it is that you're struggling with today, you can recall this passage of scripture and use it as the sword of God that is in your hand that it is made to be. Sometimes you might not have your Bible with you, though, and so you need to have it hidden in your heart, right? That's why scripture memorization isn't a powerful weapon for you to have. We've had these cards printed up. We had 600 printed the first week, and they were gone. You guys took them all. Praise God for that. We had another 300 printed up. They have the 23rd Psalm in our church information. We had another 300 printed up uh, the next week. Guess what? They were gone, right? You took them. I'm praising God for this. Keep them in your pocket. Keep them with you. We had 600 more made for you. And you may have lost yours. 
get one, take it with you, give it to somebody. It's a great invite card for a church as well. And for you to share what God is doing as you memorize this scripture. So let's say this scripture together. We're going to go up to verse 5 today. So Psalm 23, remember we start with the address, we say the scripture memory, and then we end with the address of the psalm. Are you ready? Let's give it a go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 23. You guys are awesome. It's almost like you're reading it. That was powerful. Some of us are, right? Keep working on it with me. Let's pray. God, we praise you that the wind that can batter us and knock us down and we face resistance sometimes in our lives, that the waves that crash against us and the storms of life, those things are subject to you, Lord Jesus. They still tremble because of your name. We will fear no evil for you are with us. Thank you, Lord, for being our shepherd, protecting us, providing for us, giving us your peace, prospering us, and giving us your presence. We worship you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Danny, lead us just a little bit more, all right? Sing this. So let go, my soul, and trust in him, waves and wind still know. Sing it again. So let go. have a seat. What a great time of worship. Amen? Amen. So glad you guys are here. Thank you for being here. Thank you to our guests for joining us today. We're wrapping up, or not wrapping up our series. We'll wrap up our series next week, Comfort and Chaos, but we are in the fifth week of it. Fifth week, fourth week, one of those weeks. And uh, as we continue in verse five, yeah, we're in the fourth week in verse five, looking at verse five. And so we've been talking about this great passage of scripture, the 23rd Psalm. Many of you familiar are familiar with it. You may already have it memorized. You maybe said it at a funeral or, 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 you know, and it's been something that's been special to you. What we've wanted to express to you is just the greatness of this psalm, that it is a beautiful piece of literature. But David wrote this as more than just a piece of beautiful literature or just a nice wall decor or something you only say at a funeral. He wrote this as an experience that he went through. Remember, David was a shepherd before he ever became a king. So he understood the nature of closeness with a shepherd and sheep. 
sheep. He spent a lot of time with sheep and he knew the care that was put into them as he took care of them. So David made this incredibly bold statement in Psalm 23. He said, the Lord, that is the word for Yahweh, that is the creator of all things. The Jews who would not even speak the name or write the name, they called him Hashem, which means the name. They wouldn't even say that name, but David says this incredibly bold statement. He says, that Lord, that God, Yahweh, he is, he's present tense, my, he's personal. What does he say, church? He is my shepherd. He's close to me. He's very close. He cares for me as a shepherd cares for sheep. Scandalous thing to be said, but so much power in it as we understand this 23rd Psalm. And so he, as as we've been taking you through this, we've been breaking down literally every word is packed. It's rich. It's so good for us to know the word of God and understand it, not only just memorizing it, but you have it. And now you, you know what it means. You can proclaim it with power. You understand what God means in this great Psalm. And so David in the the first part was talking about his God. He was talking about God almost as if he's giving a testimony. Uh, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm lacking for nothing is what he says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, right? He restores my broken soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then what did we learn last week? Something powerful shifts. Something really powerful happens. Rather than talking about the Lord who is the shepherd, what happens, church? He starts talking to him, doesn't he? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't say his rod and his staff comfort me, does he? No, he says, you are with me. You're with me. Your rod Remember, we learned last week that the rod is the extension of the right arm of God. It was symbolic of power. It's the power of God that he focuses on, right? Your rod and your staff, that is the comfort of God. The rod of God is often thought of by many as the word of God, the word of God that protects us like Tony expressed. It protected her in this this terrible time, in this dark valley that she was in. And then also, it is used to correct us, right? And, and as the rod would be used to protect from predators and correct sheep that are wandering, and the shepherd would toss that rod out there to get a sheep's attention, to bring them back into the fold, letting, know, letting him know he's wandering too far from the sheepfold. The staff was that crook, right, that, that you're so familiar with that is, it's a sign of compassion. He says, your power, the right arm of your power, I focus on that, And your compassion, which is often thought of and equated to the Holy Spirit, they comfort me. You're not only powerful, you're compassionate with me. You love me in that way. So he's not just talking about God, he's talking to God. A great thing for you to take away from this series is this, and this is something I've been praying for. And when we started the church 17 years ago, this is what we were hopeful for, that when we planted EBC Church, that this wouldn't be a place where people just know a lot of facts about God. God God wants you to know him. He wants you to be in a personal relationship. You're not going to find great comfort in just knowing a lot of facts about God. It's good to know some things about him, right? But, but we live in the Bible Belt. You may have grown up in church, and so you know a lot of things about God. There was a period in my life where I was going to Sunday school, and I was learning a lot of things about God, but it was not until I was a teenager that I realized I had never come into a personal relationship with the shepherd. I didn't know the shepherd. I just knew facts about him. And I remember calling upon him to be my savior, to be my shepherd, to come into my life. And, and the question that I, wanna, I want you to, to think about, we're not trying to make religious people here at EBC. We want, you to, we want you to know him in a personal relationship. We want you to be more than just being about religion. In fact, you'll hear us kind of preaching against that quite a bit. It, it, he, he has made it possible through Jesus Christ for the broken relationship that we've been restored, our soul's been separated from, to be restored by him through faith in Jesus Christ and to know him. So the question is, do you know about him or do you know him? Do you know the shepherd, right? You almost wanted to say muffin man there, didn't you? I know you, all right. But do you know the shepherd? You'll never be able to get past that, will you? Jesus said this in John 10. He said this, this is powerful. He's talking about being the good shepherd. He said this, my sheep, so there's a relationship. My sheep hear my voice and I what? 
know them. There's a relationship. I know them, and they, because they know me, what do they do? They follow me. There's obedience there. That's discipleship. You're following Jesus because you're in relationship with him. I give them, they don't earn it. We can't earn it, right? I give them eternal life and they will never, say it with me, church, what? Perish. And no one, no one, no thing, nothing ever will snatch them out of my hand. When I was at Howard Payne going to school there, um, I had a professor that was teaching us this passage of Scripture and talking about this great doctrine of eternal security. And he said, guys, he said, if you're in Jesus Christ, he said, you are in the hands. Jesus says, you're in the hands of Jesus. And he said, and Jesus is in the hands of the Father. And he said, Do you really think anybody can ever snatch you out of those hands? Isn't that great? He says, I'm I'm in his hands. I, I, I know him personally. That comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not how often you come to church. It's not how religious you can be. It's not how much money you can give. Those things are are good things that should be byproducts of the personal relationship that you have entered into with Jesus Christ. You don't get to heaven by how good you are or what you can do or how religious you can be, as we're going to see. David is is really just conveying in this incredible psalm that because of the relationship, as he not not only is talking about him, but he's talking to him, he's, he's saying the relationship with the shepherd is his true source of comfort. It's not just facts you're going to know. Because I can tell you this right now, you could memorize this 23rd psalm and not be in a relationship with God. You could know some things about it, and you could go through a devastating thing in your life, but if you're not in a personal relationship with him, it's not going to mean that much to you. It's not going to bring you a source of comfort that it can when you're in that relationship with the shepherd, when you understand what the shepherd has done in in making it possible for you to be in a true relationship. Lasting comfort, lasting comfort is not found in religion. Lasting comfort is found in a relationship with the shepherd. Amen? It's found in that. That's how people go through some of the most devastating things in their life. We've had people in this church that have gone through things. Some of you are going through things right now that I can't even fathom and understand. And although the valley of the shadow of death is dark and it's, it's gloomy sometimes and it's difficult, I've watched people go through things that they will still say, at its most critical time, it is well. It's because they know him. They know him. That's how Horatio Spofford, who wrote the song, It Is Well. You've heard the story. We've talked about it before. Randy brought it up again a few weeks ago. That song that we were just singing is kind of a, a hybrid with another song there. And, and the backstory of that, you know, is that his, he lost his, his children at sea. And then he goes to meet up with his wife. Can you imagine the devastation? And he's at the place where his children were lost at sea after he had lost his business, after he'd lost a son prior to that, and he's at this place. How does a person get to the place of saying, it is well? How do you get to that place? It's because you know the shepherd. You know the shepherd in a real way. That's how Tony, Tony Ross could say that, that night she was literally looking into the face of death, she said. There's more to her story. I don't have time to share it. But, but just powerful, just what she said. She said, looking in the face of death, she said, because the Lord is my shepherd, she said, Bart, I wasn't afraid. She said, where I, I started realizing he's here with me. I wasn't afraid. She said, I was able to say, even if I die, she said, I'd be really sad for my husband, Rod. She said, but I could say it is well. How do you get there? It's because you know the shepherd, right? So as we continue through this psalm, David continues with the personal nature of it. He doesn't shift back to talking about the table as something that he prepares and, and kind of in that third person. He says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, he says, is overflowing because of this relationship. I am more than contented. I am satisfied in Jesus. Jesus is enough, is in essence. So the relationship with God is enough. What is he talking about this table? 
What does this mean? Well, there are a couple things that most likely are going on here as I study this that kind of fits with the shepherd and the sheep metaphor as it just continues. Remember, David was a shepherd, but he also was a king. And so there, there, there was a, most likely a couple of things that were happening. As we learned in our study together, shepherds who would own a flock would keep that flock during the cold winter months, would keep them in a corral close to their home. They wouldn't, they wouldn't sleep outside with them during that time. They would care for them and provide for them, but there wasn't a closeness during those time. It was d- during that time. Their closeness became when the snowmelt began to happen, and the shepherd, as we said, would take the sheep through the gate of the pen, and he would begin to lead them to a place that would be fertile with, with lush vegetation for them to be able to feed and to grow and mature and to, and to, and to experience all of these different kinds of, of, of activities and, and really become the mature sheep that they were made to be. And so this is when they are at their closest with the shepherd because the shepherd is walking with them. He's leading them. Remember last week we learned that he leads us to get to the lush vegetation, to get to what we're going to talk about here. Sometimes and oftentimes you have to go through, what did we learn last week? The valleys, right? And so when he starts talking about the table here, there's a possibility he may be talking about what is called table land. Table land. This is a destination point. A table land is a mountain plateau where vegetation up at that level is very uh, rich for food and the grade of the land is flat which means that a shepherd would lead the sheep through valleys, through this different place to get them to the table land so that they could rest upon that table land for a period of months and really be matured during that time. He would lead them to this place, but he would have to lead them through the valley to get to this place. Table land is a mountain plateau. Whenever it's spoken of in these terms of a shepherd and sheep, there are a few uh, mountains that are called Table Mountain in the world. There are different ones, and it's obviously something that happens. And here's the most famous one. This is in Cape Town, South Africa. Can you see the table right there? Now, it's a beautiful, one of the, uh, one of the newer seven wonders of the world when they started talking about what some of these new ones are. That one there is in Cape Town, South Africa, lush with vegetation. It's a great tourist uh, spot that many people go to. And... Uh, uh, and now also there's a Table Mountain in Colorado. It's, I don't have a picture of that one, but it's much smaller and it doesn't look anything like that right there. Although the mountains in Colorado are beautiful also, but Table Mountain does not. There is also one that David most likely had in mind. There is a Table Mountain that is in Israel that is in the Negev Desert. All right, so he would have to lead sheep. He, this is the one that's in Israel. This is in the Negev there. He would have to lead sheep. The shepherd would lead sheep. If it's not this one he had in mind, there were likely other plateaus that he had in mind like this, leading them through the valley, leading them up there. And now what this shepherd would do is beforehand, the shepherd would go before the sheep were ever released out of the pen. And he would go and he would take seed with him. He would go on a journey while it was still, snow was still there, but it was melting. And he was preparing the tableland for his sheep he'd be bringing back later. He would go and he would pull out poisonous plants. It was a tedious job as it covered several acres. And he would go and pull out out the poisonous plants or anything that would be a danger to the sheep. And he would sow in good seed, seed that would grow during that period of time so that after he left the tableland, went back to get the sheep and brought them back on that journey, that grass and that good feed will have grown there. And it was lush vegetation he had prepared for the sheep. He also would familiarize himself with predators in that region, sometimes even taking those predators out before he would lead the sheep into that place. But, you know, he couldn't get every one of those, and so he would have to be prepared for the predators. He could see on the tableland and protect the sheep better, all right? So this is is most likely part of what's going on in this, as he's talking about tableland, right? And there's certainly meaning and significance in this psalm. However, there also seems to to be something else that is going on that David is talking about here as the psalm, as you'll see next week, does begin to shift. He starts talking about uh, my head being anointed with oil. He starts talking about my cup, which sounds like a meal, right? Runs over. He starts talking about I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? Goodness and mercy will pursue me. David was a shepherd, but David also was a king. David understood the nature of relationship with a shepherd, but he understood the majesty of a king's table. 
So this word here in the Hebrew is not table land. It's actually the word for table, which means in the Hebrew, it's spread. It's a fine spread of food. Like you had probably at your Thanksgiving meal, all of the finest foods that had been prepared for a great feast, a great party that you were going to have to give thanks and celebration for how you have been blessed. So if you're taking some notes, now there could be a combination of what's going on here. It could be table land. It also could be a table that's being said here, uh, a king's table. I kind of happen to land in that God can use both of those things to speak to us, right? Um, And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Regardless of what it is, the table represents a rich feast prepared for you by God himself. Amen? Amen, right? That's good stuff. That God has prepared that for you. He's prepared. He's been provided. He didn't ask you to bring anything, right? He's provided it all. He's prepared it for us. He's the king and the shepherd. It's not just when this word is used, it's a spread. It's not just an ordinary meal. It's not just a little plate of something. It's not you just being on a diet and having a few little portions. It is a full buffet banquet feast and all God's hungry people said amen, right? That's what we say. We love that. Now, here's the great part is it's not just about the food. It's about the fellowship with God himself. That we've been invited to this table, right? That, that God is the host of this banquet. He's the host. God himself is the host of this. He's the king of kings. And here's what's so humbling when we really think about this is that the king of the universe, the king who created all things, I wish we had time to talk just about the complexities of the universe and how great God is and the billions upon billions of galaxies that are out there. That God who made all that, he humbled himself, didn't he? And he humbled himself and he became a host at a table with sheep. That's what he did. Here's a great thing to write down. He says this. He says, he anoints my head with oil. Now, what this likely means is this, is that because he's the host, by the way, he's not only the host, here's what will blow your mind when you really think about it. And as you have communion today, I really pray you'll contemplate this today. He not only is the host at the table and and sits at at the honored place, right? He humbled himself, became one of us, but he serves us. That same God serves us. He serves the sheep. That's what David is saying. He anoints my head with oil. Oil was used in the ancient Near East as a a representation of honor. They would put oil on somebody that was going to become a king or somebody that God was going to do something great through. When you were hosting people in that arid country, when they would come in to your house, the guest of honor would get oil on his head. He would put a, they would put a little oil. It was symbolic of, of welcome. It was symbolic of, of, of this welcoming spirit, hosting and serving. And here's the beautiful thing. Now, now, it could very likely be this, that you are the guest of honor and I am the guest of honor that Jesus has made. But here's another thing, and I think this is where part of this metaphor of sheep and shepherd also plays in. He anoints my head with oil. Shepherds would take oil with them, and there was a mixture that they would take. And during those summer months, up on those plateaus, as if you've ever been on a hike in a place like that, you know this, that the flies and the gnats can drive you crazy. You ever experienced that, right? Don't you hate it when when you have this great table prepared and you've got one stinking fly that ruins everything? Don't you hate that? I hate that, right? And, you know, and it's a product of the curse, the flies are, right? And mosquitoes and gnats and all of that stuff. Well, this shepherd, what, what would happen is these, these uh, flies and gnats would torment, torment the sheep. Torment them. Sometimes this is going to gross you out, but you need to know this, all right, because it's powerful. They would land in the nostril of the fly, uh, of the, uh, not the fly, of the sheep. And they would lay eggs in the nostril of the sheep. And boy, doesn't that bless your heart? And and they would grow, and the larvae would go, and as you can, and it would infect that sheep, literally driving that sheep crazy. And so here is the power of this: a shepherd would see this, and this was a preventative, and would take the oil and put it in the nose and the nostrils of the sheep to protect them from the things that would harass that sheep and it would prevent these flies. Literally, sheep sometimes that would have this happen would literally bang their heads on rocks because it was was driving them crazy. 
Now think about the harassments in life, right, that come for you that literally kind of just nearly drive you crazy and they're always just pestering you all the time, right? It's not these big things. It's these small things that just can eat our lunch, right? And so he anoints our head with oil. Oil is often thought of as the, as the symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to help you through the aggravations of the fallen world that we currently live in. That's part of the richness of this passage. Here's something I want you to write down. You and I, we are invited to sit at his table. We could just pass over that and just think, oh, that's awesome. That's great. I get to sit at the table. No, we need to understand it. You need to know what this means. You've been invited to come to the table of God. You're invited to the party. You've been invited to come to the banquet. A few minutes ago, as we were talking about whether here in Psalm, uh, the first five of Psalm, it dealt with the shepherd and sheep analogy, very likely does. But it also, I think, deals some with this king's table, this banquet feast. And I could be wrong, but I think both of some of this is going on in this. Part of the wonder of this psalm is that the king of all kings, the God of the universe, allows himself to be called a lowly shepherd by a lowly man. That is the humbling thing of this. David understood being a lowly shepherd. His brothers teased him, didn't they? Whenever he was uh, tending to his father's sheep, they said, go back to tending your sheep. You don't deserve to be here or whatever. It was reserved for a lower person. But here's the beauty of this as well. What if what's going on with this picture is that the king who has made himself a lowly shepherd on our account to relate with us, to walk with us, to be close to us and not distant with us, he also has invited the sheep to come and sit at the king's table. You wouldn't invite, you should know this, you would not invite a dirty, smelly, stinky sheep to come into your house and sit at the table, would you? We wouldn't do that. Some of you, you don't even let your dogs inside, do you? You shouldn't let your cats in either. I'm just saying that, all right? But by His grace, by His grace, by His invitation, He has invited us to sit at a place of honor at His royal banquet table. You're invited. And when I ask that, and when I say that to you, I ask this to you. How does that make you feel? It fills my heart where my cup is overflowing with something. It's called gratitude. Amen, right? I'm grateful. Have you ever been invited to something really special that you wanted to go to? You know, you got an evite or maybe an invitation in the mail, you know, something like that, that you got that just you were excited when you got that. You actually wanted to be at that certain thing. Maybe someone invited you to a suite, you know, uh, at the Cowboy game, and it was going to be a big spread and party, and you were going to get to see the game and eat all the good food. You probably got really excited about something like that, right, especially this year. Or, or maybe, maybe for those of you that love to go to weddings, You get an invitation to a wedding. And I know some of you, mostly men, are like, I don't want to go to that, right? We men, that's how we are. Uh, It's like, I don't want to, you know, I I know that. I'm a pastor that does a lot of weddings. Now, when I did your wedding, if I did it, I loved it. I just want you to know, I loved it. It was wonderful. But seriously, men, we don't get too fired up about the weddings, right? We go, we're we're more about the marriage and and uh, and the honeymoon and all the good things there, right? And just being honest. And, And so, but here's the thing. Here's what's going on. This is someone that you really love. You're excited about the great party that's going to happen. There's going to be great food. There's going to be incredible uh, company that you're going to love being at that place. And you get excited. There may be a flip side where you get excited, but there have been times maybe where you were looking on Facebook or maybe you were on social media and you saw that there were a bunch of people having a good time and, and, and you're like, I didn't get invited to that. You didn't really feel very special, very loved, Right? Well, here's what I want you to hear today. You've been invited to the most important party ever. The party of God. You've been invited to sit at this table with the God of the universe. You were not left out. He picked you. 
He wants you to be at the table with him. I remember a few years ago, I got this honor of getting invited to go with a group of pastors to Vietnam and Southeast Asia there in that communist country. We were touring the country and we were talking with, uh, as we, and again, I, I don't know why I got invited to go to this because I know I'm a knucklehead, but I got invited to go and we were talking with government officials about religious freedoms in Vietnam and for pastors who were there and for that to grow. And we were having dialogue with them about that. And it was really a powerful Powerful thing to watch what God was doing in that. And I got invited to go and be a part of that. And I remember just thinking, why am I invited to this? Who in the world am I? But here's something else that happened. I went back into my hotel room one night, and there was an invitation that was in my room that had been left there, and it was from the U.S. ambassador to Vietnam inviting me and the other pastors to come to a party that he was going to throw at his house with all of these other officials, these government officials. And I remember, and there are a lot of VIPs that were going to be there, and I remember thinking of whom I am not one, right? I remember thinking, who in the world am I to go to this? Who am I, you know? I started thinking, if they knew about me and they knew some of the things that I've done, they knew what a knucklehead I really am. One, I wouldn't even have been invited to come on this trip. Two, I sure wouldn't get invited to the ambassador's house. I remember seeing the United States seal and just the majesty of that. It was so cool. I mean, I was thinking, if they only knew, if they only knew, I'm the pastor who had the vial of anointing oil. I've told you this before. Some of you don't know this, but the little vial of anointing oil that we use and we put on people and we pray over them. And I I had one of those little vials and I put it in my front pocket of my khaki pants when I went to the hospital. I'm this pastor and forgot to tighten the lid on it. So when I got out, it spilled all over the front of my khaki pants. And then I'm there to visit someone in the hospital. I'm Pastor Pee-Pee Pants is what I look like. And so I'm thinking, who am I to get invited to something like this? You can't get past that either, can you? The point is this. It's not based upon what we can do, how we can earn our way to the table. It's all about grace. Aren't you thankful for that? I want to share this passage with you real quick before we have the Lord's Supper. Matthew 22, Jesus is writing to a group of people who were very religious, but they didn't know God. They were very religious and they knew a lot of things about him, but they were very oppressive and they were very, very religious. Jesus tells this story to them. And it's more than just a story. It really is a story of the history of Israel. And what God has done in inviting them and inviting us to come to the table. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1, Jesus says this. Jesus also told them other parables. He's teaching. He's making points. He said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Who do you think those servants might be in, in, throughout history? They've been the prophets of God who came over and over and over saying, The Messiah is coming. Get ready. The Messiah is coming. Get ready. And here's what it says. Notify those. They, he says he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they... Those who heard him, they all refused to come to the banquet. So he sent other servants. That's the grace of God. He doesn't quit. He keeps pursuing us. He sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. It's been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed. It's going to be a barbecue, folks. That's what I'm seeing right here. And everything, everything is ready. Come to the banquet, he says. Come on. Come to the banquet. But the guests that he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others, they got angry. They got tired of being told about the banquet and about getting ready for it. They seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. And that's what they did with the prophets of God over and over, didn't they? They would tell them over and over again, the king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. If you look at Israel's history, you find that Jerusalem was burned and that there was discipline of God that happened as they continued to break their covenant with God. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited 
They are not worthy of the honor. Now, go out to the street corners, to the highways and the byways is the way I heard it growing up. And, and say it with me, and invite everyone you see. Get out there and invite everyone. The key word in this passage is everyone. Invite them. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. If you keep reading, you'll see that some got thrown out because they were not properly dressed, and what that is indicative of is that they were not cloaked with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They were still trying to get into the banquet by their good deeds. The good and the bad alike. Powerful story, right? Jesus is telling us in heaven there's going to be this great big party that God, the king, is going to throw a wedding feast for his son, Jesus. We learned about it as we were in our series called Prepared Not Panicked last year. And it happens when the bride gets there, the bride of Christ, that there's going to be this great, this great reunion with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ himself. We are the bride of Christ. That's us. Those who have a relationship relationship with Jesus by grace through faith it's not about religion it's about relationship so this story is so much more than a story it's a story of the real thing it's a story of history it's being unfolding uh, before us throughout throughout the past and it's still unfolding before us it's called the marriage supper of the lamb now what makes this story so great is this point is that the punchline is this again everyone gets invited Everyone gets invited. Matthew was a hardcore Jew whenever he wrote this, right? And he was communicating to Jewish people. He was trying to convince them Jesus was the Messiah, right? But Matthew, when he met Jesus, realized that Christ was this Messiah, a different Messiah that the Jews had been looking for. And God, who had chosen this group of people, the Israelites, to be his chosen people throughout the Old Testament, they talked through, he talked through them, he worked through them, the whole Old Testament. Is all about their story, right? But everything is leading to Jesus. Everything's pointing to Jesus. So if anybody should be going to this feast because of what they did, right? It should be them. But here's what he says Jesus says it's not just them that are invited. It's not just through through their actions that they get to be there. They're rejecting the bridegroom. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. They have not come to the ta- they will they cannot come to the table except through Jesus whom they have initially rejected but as scripture indicates many of them will come to faith in Christ like our brothers and sisters in Christ in Sar Shalom amen right they know the truth they know the truth about who Jesus is but it says this it's not just the Jews that get to come everyone is invited they were not interested though in the invitation because the invitation came through Jesus. The invitation, the way we get there is through Jesus. This marks this major turning point in history where God now sends the invitation out to Jews and Gentiles. That's us, those who are not Jewish. Jews and Gentiles alike. And when we are now in Jesus Christ, he says there is no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more male or female. There's no more slave or free man. There's none of these things. We are one under Jesus Christ, one church under Jesus Christ. So it's this turning point where all are invited, Jew and Gentile alike. He says, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find good and, what does it say next, church? Bad alike. Good and bad alike. You don't come to the table just by being good. By being religious. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. doesn't matter whether you've been a good or a bad person. God invites everyone into the relationship with His Son, to believe in His Son through faith, to come to the party. It's the party of all centuries, and you've been invited to it. But your invitation comes through Jesus Himself. Too many people think that the way to get to the party is by being good, by doing good things, by being religious, by by giving, by by helping others. Again, those are byproducts of the relationship you're already in. They don't get you to the party, though. You get to come to the party because of what Jesus did, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying for our sin. And when we believe in him, he gives us, by his grace, this gift of an invitation to the party. 
eternal life. There's a seat for us at the table, right? And this is one of the main reasons that the church exists. Do you know this? It's we're supposed to be passing out as many invitations as we possibly can. That's one of our functions is to keep passing the invitations out, to keep inviting people to come to the table of God, to keep inviting them to come to the feast, right? The creator of the universe has made it possible through Jesus to be able to sit at the table with him. This is why we're here. This is why at Christmas time you should invite your unchurched friends. Bring them to the table of God. Invite them to the table. And he says this, they don't have to clean up before they come to the table. Come as you are. And when you come as you are and you come in faith to Jesus by his grace, he cloaks us with his righteousness. So when God looks at you and he looks at me at that table, he does not see our filth and our failures. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And you are clothed in his righteousness. Not because we deserve it do we get to come to the table or because we earn it. We get to attend because of his grace. Because of his grace. That's the last thing to write down. Our seat at the table is secured by God's grace. As believers today, we know that scripture tells us our real struggle is not with each other. It's not with one another. It's it's not with flesh and blood. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your enemy is not another person. If you're a believer, your enemy is Satan himself. Your enemy is the flesh. Your enemy is sin. Your your enemy is the systems of the world. That is your enemy. And he says he prepares a table before me right now in the presence of my enemies. And because of what Jesus has done, what he's saying is this, is that the enemies can only look when you're in Christ from the outside in and they see the shepherd serving you, cloaking you with his righteousness. And as he serves you this meal, he says to you, death, the world system, sin, your flesh, they have no more power over you. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Right? Because of the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, those things have lost their power. Last scripture, right here. Isaiah 25, in describing what this feast one day will be like, it says, in Jerusalem, verse 6, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice. Oh, let's say it. What? Meat, right? You may be a vegetarian. That's fine. You can have a carrot that day. I'm having brisket. There he will remove the cloud, listen, the cloud of gloom. I've shared with you before that some of the battles I've had at times in my life with depression, do you know what I've called it? The cloud. And when I read that, my cup is overflowing. Amen? Praise God. He will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim. So we're going to say it one day. Let's get a little practice right now. What do you say? This is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we we trusted. There's a relationship. I've trusted in him. That's a feast that will happen one day. But the beauty of the oil is also this. It's indicative. It's present tense as well. Not only is it a feast one day, but right now, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He anoints your head with oil. The Spirit of God is with you right now, preparing the feast for you every day. The feast is there to be taken, and your cup can literally overflow daily because of Him, not because of what you do. But it all comes through a relationship with Him. What can harm you? What can hurt you? 
not even death itself. We're going to have the Lord's Supper and remember that Jesus made it possible for us to come to the table today. I want to invite our ushers to go ahead and take their places. Our worship team is going to come back up and lead us in a closing song. But I want to just invite you to prayer right now. If you'll just bow your heads with me and just get your heart for communion today, I want to remind you that communion is for those who are believers. You don't have to be a member of Eagles View Church to take this communion today, but you do need to be a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is for the universal church of God. You need to be a believer. And so in a moment, you're going to be reminded of why you have been invited to the table, how it's even been possible by Jesus Christ. His body was broken for us. When you take the bread on the night Before Jesus was crucified, he had a table fellowship meal with his disciples. He lifted up bread and he tore the bread. And he said, this is my body that will be broken and beaten for you. When you eat it, remember me. They didn't quite understand it until the next day. Then he took a cup of wine and he held it up and he said, this is my blood that is going to be spilled for you. They understood Jesus as the Passover lamb of God. He says, when you drink this cup, remember me. See, without, Scripture tells us, the shedding of blood, of sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, that's the thing that we have to think about is without Jesus, you need to think, where would I Where would I be? So, as the ushers direct you and you feel led today, please go to the outside aisles. Go to the station you are directed to go to. Take the bread and the juice. Go back to your seat down the middle aisle. And at your own pace, remember as you take the bread, the body that was broken for you, beaten for you, in your place. Take the cup. Drink it remembering the blood that was shed for you so that you have an invitation to the table. Father, we thank you for what you have endured, what you went through on the cross for us, Jesus. You not only are the good shepherd, you humbled yourself even further and became the lamb of God, the Passover lamb sacrificed on our behalf. Today, Lord, we remember. Fill our cups to where it's overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. Jesus' name.